College podcast. This is episode seven, recorded 4-8-2013. Um, before we talk about our topic and our guest, I just want to say happy birthday, William. Uh, last week was your birthday. Thanks. Yeah, and this weekend is my, or this week is my daughter's birthday, so. Uh, she can be five. She is going to be five. I finally remembered. Uh, yeah, good job. Yeah. Yeah, she's neither six nor four. So what's our topic going to be today? Yes, our topic this week is actually going to be a, a breakdown, a recap of the Vineyards Bloodgate Part 1 game that happened a couple of days ago on Saturday, um, April 6th. Um, and here with us to discuss it is uh, Brandon Slayton, who is uh, one of the sort of the main characters who have been on, on the Vineyards journey. Hi, Brandon. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for coming. So uh, before we get started on the topic, let's just uh, sort of go around and talk about what's been going on with us in IFGS lately. And uh, yeah, so let's start out writing and production. I, I think we just said that we just produced and wrote a game, Vineyard's Bloodgate Part 1. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, what about writing, Will? Um, well, let's see. I, I guess there's not that much going on with writing right now. Um, we uh, looks like we're probably only going to be doing three games this season, which is kind of a surprise. Yeah. Um, Heart of the Highlands, which I think is now back and done as PP. Yep. Um, a long way from home, which we've gotten the first turnaround from our sanctioning committee, and we've been sort of discussing furiously, deciding which direction we're going to go with it. Yep. Um, and then Vineyard's Bloodgate Part 2, which, you know, will mostly depend on sort of how this podcast turns out. So. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out where it's going to go from that. So Vineyard's Bloodgate was a full game, and, and because of production reasons, it was getting a little long, so we had to sort of cut it in half. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's why there's Part 1 and Part 2. But and Apparently, we could have actually gone Bloodgate Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, possibly Part 4. That's a teaser. We'll get to that later. <laughs> so, um, new IFGS site. I... Uh, one of the things that we keep trying to find is new places to run our games. And I have a lead on a new site up in Jamestown ward area. So I'm surprisingly sort of close to Boulder. Yeah. And uh, I, the cost is the one thing I might, might be prohibitive, but yeah, hopefully be able to release more, some more information here in the next few weeks about that. So I'm pretty excited about that. You tease you. I know. Yeah. I don't want to give out, give it away yet. Um, sanctioning. We uh, just sent out a survey to talk about VMR and some options about how we might want to deal with it here in Denver, Boulder. And Brandon, you, uh, you've been pretty big on the survey, sort of managing that for us. How, how's it going? Well, we have uh, 28 responses so far. The outcome is actually fairly well balanced um, as far as the overall question of whether or not we should uh, try to restrict VMR in our chapter or not. It's pretty much 50-50 right now. Really? Well, so what do you mean by yeah. restrict? Like restrict at all or like Well, yes. Allow? The first question was whether or not the sanctioning committee should restrict VMR at all in the chapter. Right. And Got it. The answer is 50-50 yes, 50-50 no. Well, right. there's a couple I don't care, but. Sure. If you haven't taken the survey and you care about this, I really suggest you go out to the Denver Boulder IFGS site um, and website and vote. There's a link on the, the website and give us your opinion. Um, it's good to hear. We're going to take all the opinions sort of into account and then the sanctioning committee will sort of decide as a group uh, based on that evidence on, on how we feel about it. And it's a pretty fun survey. I've taken it five times so far. Nice. Yeah. And there's nothing to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to say that, Brandon. So uh, other than that, we've been working on the 2013 game schedule, trying to finalize some dates. A lot of people have 
uh, things going on this summer, and we want to make sure that we sort of get these nailed down as, as far in advance as we can. It's not 100%, but the uh, again, the calendar on the, the Denver Boulder website is sort of being updated uh, regularly with those dates, so go check it out, and uh, we'll be publicizing those in the Melee and on Facebook. Fantastic. So next, this is sort of exciting. We uh, got invited, William and I got invited to go play in a game in uh, Texas, in Dallas. It's called Nightshade, and it's in May. And so it looks like we were sort of touch and go whether we were going to go or not, but it looks like we're going to head down. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about it. Um, from up here, Ray Michelle is also going to be on our team as our magic user, and I'm, I've, I've never actually gotten to play with him before, so I'm excited about that too. Yeah, I've got some gear to make, and as soon as I get moved, I think that's, you know, getting finishing up Owen's costume is, is going to be my first priority. That's strange, because I'm hoping that people in your household will make my costume, too. <laughs> we'll get done. <laughs> um, we got a lot of options to play. Been sort of discussing this. Got some games that we've been invited to Loremaster, Trial by Fire, Midsummer's Interlude, Tavern of the Verdant Cup. So we've sort of been starting to work on our teams for those and recruiting and whatnot. It's It's been quite interesting. We had a good uh, team meeting for Trial by Fire the other night, um, yep. trying to figure out some details and stuff. So yeah, it should be, pretty, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely looking forward to those. I'm getting to play a whole bunch this year, which is pretty exciting. It doesn't mean I am burning through my cap like there's no tomorrow, though. Yeah, you mentioned that you probably spend what 120,000 cap at every bar game, like cap about that. I've been, I've, I've spent almost 400,000 cap this year so far. Very cool. Oh, so uh, that's what 10% or so. No, it's really not. It's like it's almost 50%. Like I'm down to like 600,000 cap. It's embarrassing. <laughs> And and because yeah. I'm not really doing that much on behind the scenes this year, you know, it's it's sort of it's not really replenishing itself. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's what we have the next year for. So we'll we'll start working on that later this summer. But all right, great. Um, I did want to say a little congrats out to Jeff Floats after I don't know what 16 years, finally got a 10th level character. Uh, and I had a lot of fun playing this weekend, playing 10th level. So congratulations, yeah, he Jeff. Kicked, he kicked some booty. Yeah. So um, he showed the massive might of the battle mage. I I. Everyone said that he was probably one of the scariest people out there, even more so than some of the other 10th levels that were there. They were more afraid of him. So Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think he was most familiar with the rules at that level in AAP as well. That's true. Yeah. Yes, and, and willing to charge people down and use those rules against them in all sorts of brutal and unnecessary ways. Yes. Yeah. I, I could have I scared people as a 10th level monk, but, you know. Yes, I know. <laughs> Running up to those Gwendurian. Timing! Take that. <laughs> yeah. It's just terrifying. Brandon, what about you? What, what have you been going on with IFGS for you? Well, I just played in uh, Vineyard's Bloodgate Part 1. That was a good amount of fun that I had. Um, sanctioning. Um, we're on the kind of last round for Trial by Fire. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. Um, I'm trying to have this be a mellow year. I'm on kind of on the edge of a burnout issue, so... Well, I think you did a lot last year. I mean, Ultimate Price especially was just such a big beast of a game that you took on producing that, I, I mean, taking a break from a year or, or two years, I think it's it's about time and it's definitely due for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I don't think it's going to last two years, but I think I should be fine by the end of this season as long as I'm careful. Anything you want to tell us about Trial by Fire? Uh, let's see. Um, nope. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Is there some sort of sanctioner's oath that I don't know about? You know, we just try not to tell players about the game they're going to be in. It's, you know, yeah, that's right. I mean, I will, if you really want me to, I will send you a copy of the game. 
<laughs> I will. No, no, uh, like, that's a, that's, I really don't. I got a little hint from, about Trial by Fire earlier. Oh, yeah? What was that? I'm, I'm not going to tell you, but Brandon, Brandon gave me a small, <laughs> tiny hint. I see. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah. um, I'm really glad I asked that then. I, I was a lore master. <laughs> you know, I, I asked as the lore master, so, you know, using those people skills. Right. People Social skills. networking. Exactly. So anyways, I think we're going to take a little break here, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Brandon sort of about him and get to the five questions. Do you enjoy the music? Be right back. Hi, welcome back. Um, in uh, this segment, we're going to learn a little bit about our guest, and then we will head straight into the five questions. Um, as I think you heard earlier, our guest tonight is Brandon Slayton. And uh, he has been playing IFGS since 1943. Um, no, 83. Uh, right, 1983. Um, in fact, his IFGS number is, is I think it's 0.6, right? It's actually not even the first one. It's slightly before that. <laughs> what is your IFGS it's number? It's like, it's like three or something, right? It's 174. 174, all right, okay. So anyways. Um, so, so did you start in 1983? Is that when you started? I did. I started in 1983 going to weapons practices in Boulder. I didn't actually play my first game or participate in my first actual game until 1984. And how did that you was, find uh, out about it? How did the you get Orb of Class Elbon by Bill McAfee. Oh, I was a big con <laughs> geek. I was going to Starfest and Star Con, um, con. pretty regularly. Yeah. And they did uh, presentations, demos fairly regularly at those conventions. So that's how right. I found out about them. And were you living in the Boulder area at the time? or? Nope, I was living in Littleton. It was uh, south of Denver. So I was still in high school. High school. So you yeah, you high school. You started back then. How did you get to where you are now? I mean, now you're sort of this this person that's a big part of the infrastructure. It seems like you're on a lot of committees. You've been on the sanction committee for years. You're you're producing. How did that transition sort of happen? Was it just a gradual thing, or did you have some friends that just said, "Hey, let's start getting involved" from sort of a you know just a normal player to someone who's pretty integral to the IFGS right now? Well, so I, I was never a normal player. Um, I don't play a lot. As a matter of fact, I don't I don't play as much as many of the new folks have been playing. No, I, I, I started off um, NPCing in 1985. 19, well, 1985, I ran for the board and got on the board for 1986. Joined the sanction committee wow. in 1986. I went through the uh, chapter split in 86, 87, where the uh, Denver Boulder chapter um, split up, and there was now a Denver Boulder chapter and a Denver Metro chapter, Metro Denver chapter. That was how'd that work fun. out? That was not a fun time. So, so why did that yeah. happen? Uh, was it just there, a personality there, thing, or were there just so many games or it, scheduling no, issues? It, it was it was primarily um, personality and philosophy issues. There was a group of people who had a different philosophy of how games should be sanctioned and run um, to essentially main camps. And so one camp went off and formed the Metro Denver chapter, and the rest of them stayed up at the Denver Boulder chapter. Interesting. I didn't actually, I don't think I've heard that story. I, I knew that they split, but I, I didn't realize that it was a, a philosophical. Yeah, the, there, I mean, there were multiple reasons, but that that's generally considered the primary reason is uh, – Difference in philosophy on how games should be sanctioned and run. So when did the groups remerge? How long ago was that? I think it was it was definitely before I came. Well, they they didn't remerge. Um, the Metro Denver chapter just uh, uh, died away um, uh, 10, 15 years ago. 
Okay. Um, yeah, so they, they merged. It just the the primary uh, motivators in that in the Denver Boulder chapter, um, you know, came back or, or left. Well, let's uh, let's get into the five questions. Um, so, Will, you want to start us off with the first of the five? Definitely. All right. So, with all of your experience in IFGS, I'm sure you've had a lot of different characters of different classes. What is the best class in IFGS? Uh, under what rule system? Uh, no. um, uh, well, I'm willing to go either 7.0 or a P6.1. Okay. Yeah, I started playing under the 5th edition of the rules. Okay. That was long. Uh, Just what was, was the best back then, yeah. Uh, uh, probably mages. Interesting. Yeah, uh, just because they're they're flexible and they are powerful at the same time, very, very much like a D and D mage gets to in the mid levels. Uh, right. So to answer your question, um, I, I don't have a single answer. It really depends on, for me, um, the type of game I'm going to play in and what else is on my team. I I tend to like to fill the holes on the team I play in. So the for me the answer is the class that is needed most by the team. Interesting. Right, and that class is always knight. That's correct. <laughs> I was about to say if you need to fill a hole, the best thing to plug in that hole is a knight. And if you don't have a mage, it's a knight with savvy toys. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Yep. Yes, a knight with savvy toys basically fulfills all necessary functions of a team. So what is what was your favorite game? <sighs> As a player or just in general? In general. And you can answer two if you have multiple games. One is a player, one is a producer. But but in general, like what what's your, your most memorable game that you know of that you can remember? So Validium 3 is probably the one that sticks out the most in my mind um, as, as a game I participated in. It was my first big uh, game as... A production staff person as opposed to just a straight NPC. Um, I helped with the design, I helped with the production, um, helped with you know, the setup and stuff. It was, it was, you know, it was epic, at, you know, you know, you know, compared to the other games that I'd participated in up to that time. It was also the time where I first really kind of felt fully in the organization. Sure. Interesting. So, okay, Vladium 3. And when was that? About how long ago? Vladium 3 was in uh, 86 or 87. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realize it was that long. Long time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe 88, somewhere in there. Yeah, it was It was a long, long time ago. There was a long break between Vladium 3 and Vladium 4. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize there was quite that quite then, that long of a break. Yeah, and then as a, just a regular participant, um, I don't remember the game, but... It was, it was one of the early games, and we were camping out after the game was down, and you know people were playing board games and you know talking around the fires and you know eating and stuff. And uh, you know I was, I'm not, yeah, I'm a little bit of a wallflower as far as social situations go, um, and you know I was sitting near the outskirts, just kind of watching and listening. And Lisa Hightower came up and gave me a hug and told me how, you know, how uh, much she appreciated me being up there, and that just kind of sucked me in hook, line, and sinker at that point. I mean, I was already pretty pretty well uh, ensconced, but that, you know, just kind of set me firmly in, into the staying with the group. Aw, 
That's awesome. That's awesome, or that's a enormous red flag for just massive codependence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, your turn. Right, right, my turn. Um, So who is your favorite character, and if he had to die, which door combination would it be in? I mean, um, how would you want him or her to go out? So my favorite character to play is actually my magic user. You're you're uh, done? My done, yes. More said than done. He is a dwarf who was tortured and stretched on the rack and made to talk and, and has not stopped since. So when I get in game, I just chatter and babble and talk nonstop. It's, it's a very difficult thing for me to do, um, but it's quite enjoyable the impact it has on the rest of the players and the game. And I, mean, I, I got physically kicked by the society safety officer once for not shutting up. <laughs> I can't wait to see this character. I've never seen him. You play him. <laughs> yeah, so... But the character that has that is you know kind of deepest in my heart is my ranger, which is uh, Melaron Ironfist. Um, he was my my first creation as far as a player character goes, and uh, the one I've played the most through the levels that he's that he's gained. Mm-hmm. He's very much based on uh, Aragorn and stuff. You know, I was a young fantasy geek, and you know, Lord of the Rings was will and deep in my psyche but uh you know he's he's gotten married in game he's made alliances with you know other lands in game he's played in some very iconic games uh ray michelle's dragon myth games and how would you uh, want him to go out there he has to say and how how are we killing him off how are we killing him off uh in some heroic act that unifies his broken kingdom interesting is this broken oh, kingdom in the on the continent of the land of the seven tribes or is it yes, somewhere else? Far, farther north. No, it's uh, north past Setsi and uh, Snoil. Like up near Decius? Across the river Tell. It is Decius. Oh, it is Decius. Oh, okay. Yes. Great. Interesting. Okay, yeah. to unite Decius. I don't know. Yeah, fighting, uh, you know, fighting against or the rebels or against, yeah, yeah something. Yeah. Okay. Retrieving <laughs> the ancestral gems of his, of his sword or something, yeah. Something that all reunites right. and brings peace to the kingdom. And have you can have you considered all how the current troubles in the world may have affected Decius? I have actually, and you guys were talking about your your what you're doing in IFGS, and I was I I had planned to write a game for this year, and it just it just was not something that kept that was exciting me enough to do and the burnout factor and stuff. But I have recently since I've been feeling less burnt out, been sketching out encounter lines and story stuff. It all is based in Decius and kind of on the storyline of getting things reunited and, and other stuff. So it kind of follows on the game um, Agents of the Heartwood. So. Right. Ah, right. Sure. Um, and uh, what's the one thing you wish you could change about IFGS? I've been thinking about this for the last several hours and because uh, <laughs> you knew it was coming i knew it was coming and i'm i think if i had to pick one thing i think it would have to be in some way and i'm not sure how to do it but to simplify and streamline sanctioning um, hmm. when, when i first started sanctioning 
um, in in '86, and I, I've been on the sanction committee continuously since '86. Okay, um, in one fashion or another, uh, game scripts were much more open, sure. less codified, <laughs> and, and I think we've gone. I mean, there was some need to go farther into what we have now, but I think we've gone too far. It's it's I think it's far more of a burden on writers than it should be. Hmm. I think if we could uh, pull ourselves back from where we are more towards or back towards where we started, um, I think we might have a better time getting more writers. So interestingly enough, after the the last podcast we had with Jim Butcher, I was thinking about the same thing. He was talking about his LARP, which is much like Nero and all of those where they have uh, sort of a writing staff on course with some NPCs and some costumes ready to go. And, and they just sort of sketch out encounters as the game goes on. Um, and I've been thinking about something very similar, writing a game in that format. Um, and it's I have to, I actually have today. Oh, today? I'll, we'll talk about it later. But... Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. So I think, I think it's something that we're, it's worth trying and seeing if we can, how we can sort of make that happen. Yeah, we, we had the issues where people were getting significantly different experiences in a game because of the lack of... Um, definition or explanation in the game copy and that's sure. what started us on you know trying to make a game copy that is so full of information and direction and stuff that as far as we can possibly do it make sure that teams get as much of the same experience as far as the script goes sure for for their run through the game absolutely and I think we've gone away from trusting in the GMs as much as we should. I mean, we should trust our GMs a bit more to deal with the intent and the desire of the game. Hmm, so. That's a great point. Okay. It also feels like the level of detail that we are required to put in there now is actually gets in the way of GMing because there's just so much to sort through to find yeah. the answer to any given question. Yeah, I, I, would, I would liken it to like the last couple of versions of you know the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game. Um, where they've tried to codify and, and put tables and rules in for every little uh, situation, and their current, you know, their current um, effort in the role-playing system, the D&D Next, one of their catchphrases is "rulings, not rules." You know, right. So that so that the DM is making rulings based on a very more open or you know less picky set of rules. So. Sure. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, final question: If you could get one person, fictional or real, to play on your team, who would it be and why? Oh, it would be Felicia Day. Because that is correct. Felicia. That is the correct answer. <laughs> and we have now completed our hat trick. We have all of the main characters of uh, Doctor Horrible's sing along blog. Um, come back next time when we will start on another one of Joss Whedon's series, Firefly. Um, <laughs> so, no, really, who would it, who would it be? Truly. Felicia would certainly be up there, um, you know, high on the list, and probably number one on the list if you know William hadn't already outed, outed her last week, um, or last uh, session. But uh, going to something else besides Felicia, because you know, we'd all like Felicia on our team. Um, I don't know. I was thinking, I've been thinking more along some fictional characters. You know, I think a MacGyver or a Indiana Jones 
be fun. Yeah, to have. MacGyver would be awesome. That would that's a that's a really clever answer. I like that. Uh, just I'd like to see how MacGyver could, you know, MacGyver the game. <laughs> yes. Get into Man an encounter. Has and say, oh, we've got these uh, drow driders and these webs, but over here we got a you know a ball of twine and a uh, sticky piece of gum, and uh, yes. we'll do this. What can he? What can he do with uh, extra dimensional holding an ultimate strand? And yeah. a scroll of life spark. Or a scroll of pass without trace. Yes. Group move without tracks. So uh, I, after I, I said my first time on the very first episode, I said who I wanted to have on my team. I thought of someone else and I couldn't turned remember. 32 to, and who he, turned 32 today, by the way. He did? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So so this, the person that I actually want on my team, I, I thought about this. <laughs> I'm going to bring this down. I want Jeff Probst, the host of Survivor. I feel like the guy like would understand physical challenges and would know like how to do them best. He's been watching them for years. And I feel like the guy understands like role playing and, and team dynamics and understanding people better than almost anyone. Like I think he would be an amazing guy to have on a team. So I, I just I've been meaning to say say that for a while. I've been thinking about it for for quite a while now and I'd I'd really love to have him on my team. Interesting. Okay, so I think we're going to take another little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Vineyard's Bloodgate Part 1. So uh, stick around. Hi, and welcome back. Uh, we're going to now take this time to talk a little bit about the game that happened this last weekend, Vineyard's Bloodgate Part 1. And uh, yeah, so why don't we start off with uh, talking about what, what went well with the game. How did, how did it go? Well, I mean, I, I think to answer that, I think we should... I've heard some pretty good things from the PCs. So since we've only got one person here who was a PC, why don't we ask him? So Brandon, what what went well for uh, for you in Vineyard's Bloodgate Part One? Um, it was a very busy game for me. There was a lot of people lining up to talk to me, or people that, that I thing? really wanted to talk to. Was it a good thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was. Did, a good is thing, that something uh, you enjoyed? Okay, great. Yes. Yes. I mean. It seemed to have caused some issues, maybe with some other players. Um, as you know, one of the groups of people that was waiting to to talk to me was a group of players. Um, you know, I was a little. I could be. I'm a bit concerned that you know, while I was dealing with other people that I was talking to and, and other people I wanted to go to, that they were left you know waiting in the wings. Um, I don't think so. I think they had a great time at the game. They generally do, regardless of what's happening at the game. See, there was some really cool uh, role playing um, with uh, various NPCs and, and the players that I was able to participate in. Um, it was it was a blast watching Dia in her role in the stasis chamber. That was <laughs> it was just uh, it was amazing. It was fun, and the players were all having a good time with it. We we're all trying to figure out, you know, whether we should just leave her behind because that's what she wants, or whether it's too cruel to leave her there all by herself with her. Yeah, it was it was good, and she kept falling and fainting. And can I interrupt for a second? On. Certainly. So, just I just wanted to say that for those people that don't know, and I think most of you do, Vineyard's Bloodgate, it's uh, a room game that we have. Um, it's sort of carrying on from our price series. Um, 
it's basically we staff it with NPCs, but it's open to anyone. Uh, one through tenth level, anyone can bring in their characters. Anyone, we have stuff going on with them, sort of all night long. We have we have events going on in the bar. Uh, sometimes it's more action oriented, but I just want to make it clear that this is just a room game, and it's sort of open to everyone. So, and it's it's a lot like the Nexus games in that it's you know it's it's an open role playing game, but there's probably a little bit more going on than a normal Nexus game. So. Uh, certainly more going on than a normal Nexus game. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't get to see it, but I, I understand there's some really cool effects down in the basement this time around. It's true, yeah. We uh, Will said for this game, before we were writing it uh, a while ago, he said, so we do this at a, this clubhouse, uh, which at Will's parents' property that we use, and it's got this great basement that sort of... Um, has multiple rooms and it goes into lower levels and will said a long time ago hey let's build a dungeon down here i really want to build a dungeon and so this game sort of was the fun first time we were able to actually build the dungeon to the level that we wanted to and not even to the level we wanted to we cut it in half is that right well yeah about yeah it was, it was it was pretty cool there were some great effects we had a uh, ralph pruitt was on ralph pruitt yeah yep. he came in and did our lighting and sound effects it was awesome it was just such a weight off my shoulders for him to come in and just he did smoke he did lights he had lighting cues he had a soundboard he recorded you know uh vocal effects and he had speakers you know in, in really cool places and i think it really added a lot to it yeah so. it was really nice black lights and all sorts of stuff it was yep. pretty cool but yeah um other than that, what went really well, we uh, Cynthia Russell and uh, Bob Dickoff took care of all the food for the game, which I thought was really, really helpful, a big load off my chest. We've had other people do it in the past, and that's it's always just really nice when someone can sort of just take care of the food and say, you know, they're going to provide everything the bar sort of provides, and we can f- sort of focus on the production of both the door-to-nowhere section and then anything else that's going on. Yeah, and she did a fantastic job. I was very, very pleased. Yeah. So what else went well? Will, did you see anything that, that you really – that you really liked? Well, I mean, I think we had great NPCs. I think we had uh, uh, um, some really good NPCs in the door, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, Billy and his zero always top-notch. Um, you know, I, I was sad that we lost Keith Hopkins right at the last moment. He was set up to NPC for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had Ken and Alexander, and we just, I felt like it was a good NPC squad, and I thought we could do a lot with it, um, and uh, yeah, I think all that went really well. I also thought we were really um, well. Set up. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, set up went a lot faster than I expected. Um, the, the organization in the door to nowhere, I think we probably need to work on that some. I think we've got, you know, we've got just so many different setups in there that uh, we might need to figure out a different way to do it than just piling boxes because invariably people are searching through boxes and we can't find the one we need. And um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, Joel did a great job setting up the door, especially the first room. Um, the core, yeah. You know, I, yeah, I thought there was some really cool effects going on in there. Um, and I think we... I mean, I didn't see most of the other GMing, but the GM that we had for the door did a great job. So Actually, GMs, this was one of the best GMing that I felt all around. We had Norman and Nissa and Jonathan and Brett and all of them. I mean, I just felt like we had lots of GMs around. Plus, you, you took your GMing hat, put it on for a little while. I did the same thing. And I felt like that there was always a GM when, when there seemed to need, need to be one. Is that what you felt, Brandon? Yeah, um, I was only needing to call for a GM when... Uh... People were outside uh, with the uh, uh, 
Gwen Dury. Dury. And Gwen Dury. Yeah, so uh, can I talk about that for a second? uh, The GMs were, you know, out there, and I was inside still working on stuff, so. Okay. So, yeah, so at one point, these Gwenduri, which are, is this race of uh, humanoids, but, but not humans, that sort of are uh, these ancient slaves to the, the old gods, and they are prowling around the inn, and, and Billy and Izzy and myself played that, and it was fun. So we, we sort of played a skirmish war. We were trying to get to a certain part of the inn to investigate it, and uh, we had a lot of fun sort of running around engaging the PCs, and I think it kept the PCs a little off kilter i think they they were a little nervous at times they didn't know where we were coming from but there were only three of us and i felt like we did a pretty good job sort of uh just hitting and running the entire time i know i know jeff spent a lot of spell points trying to track uh chase down izzy well you know the players you know got up on the uh, balcony of the the the, uh, clubhouse and you know kept trying to you know wait for you guys to come to that end of the the uh, clubhouse so they could attack from above and you know not have to engage you you know, melee combat, because face it, facing you, Billy, and Izzy in melee combat is scary. <laughs> I, I never really thought of that, to be honest. You know, it's the four of us, you know, the three of us, sorry, that, that went out and did this. Like, I, I didn't really think we were that scary. I knew there was, you know, we were between like sixth and eighth level, and, and the PCs didn't know that. But I knew that, you know, we had a, multiple 10th level PCs, and we were outnumbered four to one, you know, or, or five to one. And so I, I just felt nervous that if the PCs wanted to, they could have just – all they had to do is charge us, two or three PCs, and just knock us down and just beat us up. Like I was, I was really afraid the, that at any time the PCs would do that, and they didn't. They sort of held back most of the time guarding the inn, which was probably wise. You know, I think that's probably a more conservative way of playing it. I think that's, that's probably a good thing. But it was just I didn't expect that. I expected them to come out and engage us. Uh, and I think the other problem is – I think in a bar game compared to a normal line course, you don't have teams necessarily. So those uh, allegiances, that trust that you build up with your team isn't really there. So to, to go off and charge, you know, down a couple NPCs, I think it's a little bit more risky. You always sort of feel like everyone's looking out for themselves. Yeah, so, well, and the, the, you know, the good portion of the players, particularly the higher level players, are, you know, older, um, you know, wiser, a little less physically active. Sure. <laughs> they're they're unlikely to uh, chase down uh, you, Billy, or well, Izzy. Yeah. Yes. So what didn't go really well? So I think I think Will and I, you know, we had a little debrief this morning at breakfast, and and Will and I definitely felt, you know, some negative things about the game. So Will, why don't you start off and talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I thought um, I was pretty unhappy with just how much setup got done for the amount of game that actually went through it um you know the door to nowhere um of just the new stuff that we were going to set up of the new stuff that we hoped people would see etc um we got through about 30 percent um and some of that was some pretty special stuff you know we had um camille westlake down from uh you know from out of state and we were really hoping to show her off you know we had some some stuff for her and uh we just never got to do it um so that was really disappointing um we I'm sorry i mean it yes it's entirely brendan's fault um we had some uh we made some bad judgment calls i think as producers as far as some of that goes you know we we did a lot of prep and some really cool setups for rooms that we really had we really should have had no expectations that the pcs ever go into um 
so that was in hindsight that was a little disappointing and just the whole dungeon thing you know we we had this we had these huge encounters um planned down there and big dungeon and puzzles and all sorts of stuff and we got through about would you say 50 percent of it maybe yeah, 45 we, we got through half I, I i clearly i think half okay so got through about 50 percent of it yeah and 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 that and even that 50 percent was the quickest 50 percent you know the the other 50 percent was probably there's probably 50 percent more content but as far as the time it was going to take to get through the rest of it i would have guessed you know people were in there for a half hour i would guess we had another hour to two hours worth of stuff to do down there and it, it was odd because um, I thought that we'd get started with the dungeon earlier in the night, and like we should know, we how many of these bar games we've done, it just takes so long to get started down a plot line, and it took about you know I think it was about an hour and a half, two hours before they even started going down there, and I sort of expected, right. you know, at about five, you know, we started at five, at about five forty-five they would start getting interested, maybe six o'clock they'd be down in there, and and it was much much later, which was which was too bad. Yeah, it was like seven thirty or something. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the um, door combinations where you said, you know, that they didn't go to, it's odd because, or it's not odd, but on one hand, you, you want the players to have choice. You want them to be able to choose what totally. they want to do, but you also want to have all these great, you know, encounters that they want to go through. And if they don't choose them, yeah, that's their choice. But it's also disappointing from a production standpoint that, you know, you spend so much time on them. Yeah, very much. Yeah, no, I don't, certainly don't blame the PCs for not going through the right number of doors. I just, you know, it was a lot of work for not, not, not a lot of show. Yeah. Um, another thing, uh, sorry, you need to, uh, figure out a way to, uh, you know, put those in another game and run a game with the stuff you didn't use. Well, we will. I mean, we're going to, I think at this point we're going to give up on the vineyard series and it's just going to be the vineyards bloodgate series from here on out. Part two, part three, um, part four. Part four, exactly. Um, in fact, we might just start naming them by year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then another thing that I would say didn't go so well is the stuff downstairs in the, the dungeon part, we worked really hard to make that a very inclusive place. I, mean, I know that sounds strange, you know, deadly traps, evil monsters, and we wanted everyone to feel welcome and at home. But uh, we really did. You know, we put in a lot of mechanics that discouraged higher level players, but didn't really affect lower level players. We put in stuff that made people have to cycle in and out so that, you know, they could send in one team while another team was recovering. And just none of that really came up at all. You know, it. it yeah, I don't think any of it actually came across. So. And it might have been a well, little yeah, bit of, of how long they were down there. They just weren't down there long enough to really let those mechanics sort of play out. That might have been part of it. Yeah, I think that's certainly part of it. Um, and I always forget how much gets lost, how much information gets lost when PCs talk to each other, right? Yeah, it's like a bad game you know, the, the, It is. You know, the GM tells them, you know, okay, you got your third black flag. You now can't use your 10th level abilities, right? Right. And when the PCs come upstairs, like, oh, we got this stuff, and it started taking away our SAS. And... You know the the other people who are up there, they don't he, they don't get the same thing that the GM told the first group, and it can make it sound a lot scarier, a lot nastier, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, going back to what went well, um, there was some I thought, and and 
but there's been some after game action, some emails coming to us as writers for things that people want to sort of resolve uh, after the game. And I think those are that's going pretty well. It's, I like to see it before we did a, a bar game last year called Price of Unity. Before the game and after the game, there was a lot of uh, team con- uh, collusion where they were sort of emailing and trying to figure stuff out before the game. And I feel like we're starting to get a little bit at after this game, which is I, I really like to see that. I really like to see players keep the plot going in between the games. Yeah, me too. That That does lead back into... At some point, I want to talk about my this idea I have for for our next, you know, I, for the next Vineyard Games, um, but I, I don't think now is quite the time. Okay. So, AP. So this was our first AP bar game. Is that correct? No, second. That is second. not correct. Second, second. Yep. But this is the first one. The first, last one didn't have a lot of combat. It wasn't very intricate. It was a pretty mellow game. Uh, just a lot of role playing, but not. And we a lot didn't of have games. a lot of high level players. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of high-level players, and certainly we didn't have, you know, sort of the older generation players. Um, I think there was, and and I think, I think for those people who are now mostly used to it, because all the Nexus games have been AP, um, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, I think they are getting more and more used to it, and it's making more and more sense, and they're just that's the way they're thinking about it now. I think it was pretty rough for the older generation. Um, you know, it, that's never been a group that has particularly liked change, um, and uh, AP is kind of a big change. And it's hard to see the math. You know, it AP looks very, very different than you know any of the IF, any of the IFGS you know rules versions. It's not the same kind of difference between IFGS five and IFGS six. It's it's much bigger. Brandon, how do you feel about AP? Uh, I like the AP rule system. Um, I, I like the, you know, yeah. I don't know if I call it simpler uh, numbers, but certainly smaller numbers. Um, it can be a bit confusing for people who have been playing in the traditional IFGS rules for a while, particularly the way armor works and life points and then protections on top of that. But uh, I, I like it a lot. Um, the other thing that I noticed was the the older generation, some of them that that you know are just getting used to AP, they don't yet have an idea of balance. So you know they they look at abilities and they're quickly looking it over. And there's there was a lot of assumptions made by all sorts of players about this is too powerful or this isn't powerful enough. And and I think those of us that have been playing in AP and been discussing it a lot have a better idea of that balance. Um, and, sure, and so I think that's going to be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. Well, and I think one of the big sort of paradigm shifts in AP is that it doesn't matter how small it is, it always helps. You yes. know, it feels like in 7-0, if you swing six points of damage against a 10th level guy, you should just stay away. It, it is not worth doing. Right. But in AP, it's always worth doing. Yeah, you're I mean, always if, at least... As long as you're going to survive it. Yep. So uh, talk about the fighting a little bit since we are the Battle College uh, podcast in this game. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought there was going to be more fighting than there was. There was really the fight against the Gwendory, and yep. there was a fight against the, the ghost spirits down in the dungeon, which you didn't see. But there really wasn't that much fighting I didn't see overall. any of it. Oh, you didn't get to see any of the fighting. Brandon, did you get to experience Well, no, that? I got to... Uh, well, I, I watched the uh, fight with the Gwendory from the balcony for the most part. Um, or from the yep. back windows of the uh, of the inn. I was shouting, you know, 
information to the people who were up front saying, oh, they're coming around to the north. They're coming around to the south. There's one hiding in this alcove. But uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I cast or I, I used one monk ability from the balcony, and that was pretty much it. So. Um. Yeah. I mean, I got to see. Let's see. I got to see Billy go down to this to the sleep spell. Yeah. Saw that. Um. And then. I don't think I actually saw how Mike went down. Um. You got chased off. But. But but that was pretty much it, and I didn't see any of the specter fight. Yeah, the specters were pretty nasty down below. I don't want to get into sort of their mechanics because uh, they might go back down there again. And there might be, it, yeah. They might still be down there. But the uh, yeah, I got I got dust stormed at one point. I got uh, li'd at one point. It was sort of I, I got knocked down a few times. In fact, Brandon knocked me down. And I didn't even hear it, so I sort of cheated a little bit. Um, and that I think would have made the difference. I think I would have got da- gone down a lot quicker than I would have if I would have known about that knockdown because the PCs were pretty much surrounding me at that point. But it was it was some good fighting. I wish there was a little bit more. I wish, you know, one of the things that are always hard to do in these bar games is have a, any sort of climax in the game. And this yeah. one I actually felt like ended okay. Uh, I was worried though. Oh, see, I hated the ending. You did? Oh, okay. Yeah, it totally felt like it just petered out. You know, we've I mean, a... once we got to the point where PCs were literally just coming and going, like, are we game down? Like, or are we not game down? Like, that to me felt like we had totally missed the mark. Interesting. And admittedly, it's because we didn't get to the finale, right? Sure. That extra 50% would have gotten us to the finale. But, but yeah, it, it, it just felt like people just didn't know if we were done or not. Yeah, and that kind of confusion just, just tells me that something went terribly wrong. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if something went terribly wrong. I think uh, you suffered a bit from, you know, older players and some of the, you know, some of the more key PCs being either recovering from uh, severe illness or uh, very low energy due to lack of food. <laughs> yeah, but I think there's a difference between like, I mean, I, I guess there's there's a devotion like they're not going to be done before it's done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was still a little weird. And there was definitely some fear from the PCs that I heard that they yeah. were a little afraid to finish out the rest of the game, like like they're afraid of our games or something. That that you know, if if they're going downstairs, they want to go downstairs. I mean, I know Jeff, for instance, has like 120 spell points, you know, and he had already was at like 95 or something. He had like 25 left. So I I don't know. I know he was recovering from an illness, but. You know, I, I definitely felt I heard from a few of them that they were afraid of going back downstairs because they just weren't ready for, you know, points wise or or mentally their mental capacity wasn't there. They just weren't ready to handle that. So I wonder if we maybe made it a little bit more scary than than we should have or I, I'm not sure. Uh, so worth it? Like, what do we what do we think about this game? Like, would we do it again? Knowing what I know now, I would not do it again. Right. Um, I'm I've, I'm a little worried that we're now committed to finishing it out, but yeah, knowing what I know now, I I would not have run this game. Brandon, I, I think there are th- some things to do prior to a next running of this game or the next portion of this game that would be very beneficial to um, I think the feeling of production va- production work versus value of production. Um, Thing along, some things you know that are a little metagamey, but you could, you know, get some get some teams together and have them, you know, start in slots through 
the, you know, the, the, the uh, care, um, you know, have them ready to go into the care at game in with advanced information and, and prep and stuff. That would get, you know, people sure. engaged in that portion of the game much sooner. Um, See, it's interesting, Will. I'm, I'm slightly on the other side of you. I, uh, going into this game, and even during the setup, the setup we started at 1 o'clock, the game was at 5, we knew it was going to be a long setup. I, I, I went into this game pretty burnt out, to be honest. I, we're, we're moving our house. Uh, we're uh, getting ready for a work trip. You know, I've got all this other stuff going on. And I was pretty pretty fried and pretty much like like never again will i do this like this is over and like i do for most games after the game i was feeling pretty good about it actually i think that there's definitely things that need to change um either we need to streamline setup we need to find ways to get the pcs moving along we need to involve more pcs but that seems like all writing mostly and not so much production and now that we've done the production at least i have an idea of what it sort of takes um and right and and so i i think i'm I think I would rewrite the game if I did it again. I would have it would have gone vastly different, um, but the same basic production would still be there. It's just how do I get the PCs involved um, quicker, or 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 how do I get more PCs involved? Those are questions I would want to answer, and and definitely going into sure. Bloodgate Part Two, that I think will will address some of those. We're not going to keep it as written. Yeah, no, I, well, yeah, certainly not. Well, and and actually, the the setup on game day actually went much faster and more smoothly than I expected. Um, you know, putting everything together was much quicker. Um, for me, the actually the most onerous part of setup was actually blacking out the windows. Yeah. By far. Do you do? You, I mean, now that you've done it once, do you feel like you have a better plan next time, or is it just going to take? It's just going to be a grind to to get all that black plastic up there. No, I think we, I think I know how to do it, but much much faster. Okay. So. And I think having having the right materials is would certainly help, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, anything else about Vineyard's Bloodgate that we want to talk about? Um. There, it sounds like we are going to continue. There will be more Vineyard Bloodgate games. Um, we do encourage everyone to get involved and to bring their friends you know we we will make sure that the next one is you know um sort of accessible more accessible to everyone because we really do want those lower level pcs in there we really do want everyone to get a chance to explore and find out what's going on and take part um and uh yeah i think the next one is going to be I think that we, we will learn a lot, and the next one I'm sure will be better. So, yeah, if you're listening to this, you should plan to come to that game. And and if you've never if you're come not to listening one, to this, I would not show up. And if you've never come to one, um, please think about coming. Email stuff about your character history. Email stuff if you were bored during one of the the Vineyards games ever, or you know, let us know, and we'll try and write stuff for you to keep you involved. We love doing that for people, and uh, I think we've we've gone that way with 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 Brandon's character and with Jeff's character. So the more of that that we can have, the better. So let us know. So actually, on that note, so that that brings me to this thing that I've been teasing at. Okay. Um, I would love so so part of my my favorite part of this game actually was sort of after everything had died down. Um, I can't say too much about it because there are people involved who you know, may or may not know what's going on. Um, but there were some ramifications of PC actions 
that will last far outside the game. And these are some of these out-of-game actions you were talking about, things that happened after the game, things that people are concerned about. Um, and that part, for me, was much more interesting and engaging than most of the rest of the game. Um, and so it it's gave me this idea that what I would love to do, and we certainly have an NPC resource problem, is I would love to have a squad of you know, three to five NPCs that I'm just allowed to do stuff with, right? That I can basically just go around trying to engage PCs, that I can build little quests, that I can, you know, basically take that that role as sort of the plot committee. Um, you know, and we'd have to sanction it very carefully. We'd have to say, you know, none of them can exceed this risk, this fighting, you know, um, and that that's all fine. Um, but just sort of a much more on the fly, a much more flexible structure. Yeah, I um, think it's a great idea. Yeah. And actually part of that was something we had in the very first vineyard games that went away because we couldn't get the technology to work. Um, and that was, we, we had this scrying device that you could contact other people all over the land of the seven tribes and talk to them. Um, and we couldn't ever get it to work, but I think with, um, you know, iPads and, all that kind of stuff and, you know, enhanced Wi-Fi signals and things. I, I think we, we might want to bring that back. It's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think that's going to pretty much finish it up for today. Um, I did want to give a quick little plug real quick. Um, this is something personal that uh, it's going on with me, and I just wanted to invite the IFGSers to participate. I'm, I'm uh, doing this uh, virtual race series with some friends of mine, and it's uh, if you want to get in shape and you want to run maybe like your first 5K, um, we're sort of a bunch of nerds putting on the, a race for on May the 4th, and it's a sort of a Star Wars-themed race. And we actually have a whole race series, three races throughout the year, but uh, I want to invite any IFGSer that might be interested uh, in checking out checking it out. It's uh, www.thenerdherd.info. Um, check it out. Um, let me know if you have any questions, and it should be really, really good. Fantastic. I'm yeah, if you're not a runner, you're a walker, you can do it too. And the money all goes to a great charity as well. So, well, While you're here, can you tell us what a virtual 5K is? Sure. Like a normal 5K, you'd go to a park and race with a lot of other people. What a virtual one is, is you sign up. Um, a portion, the majority of your, your fee goes to a charity. And then what you do, the rest of it goes to, you get a medal and you get a little racing bib. And you run it on your own. So you don't run it with... Um, with other people, you sort of just do it on your own and you report back your time via online through the web. All right. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. You, Sounds pretty exciting. You know, kind of on your own course and on a day of your choosing. Absolutely, yeah. Time period. You have a whole week to do it. So anytime during that week, you uh, you finish it during that week before May the 4th, the week prior to that, and do it wherever you want. And yeah. Cool. So some hardcore folks to do, you know, a 5K trail run and us, us more sedentary folks should walk around the park for 5k absolutely however you want to do it you can do one mile one day one mile the next day even if you wanted to you could split it up over days as long as you do the 5k that's all that matters all right cool well thank you brandon well, for cool. coming on and uh really thanks for having me yeah i really appreciate you talking to you about vineyards bloodgate and giving us your sort of opinions and feedback sure great my pleasure but always like giving my opinions <laughs> great when i have them <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully next, right. yes, next time we'll come back with uh, episode eight. We uh, sort of skipped talking about team building. We wanted to get back to that. So hopefully that'll be coming up next. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully everyone can come back and join us again. All right. 
Okay. Have a good evening. Thanks a lot, everyone. Hey, thank you. And remember, fighters fight. Fighters fight.